Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the Fantrax Radio Network. Fantasy Sports lives here. Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Presented by the Fantrax Podcast Network. I am Pat Donovan. Joining me tonight for a very special trade deadline or post-trade deadline edition is Joe Saunders. What is up, everybody? This was the craziest day in baseball in a very long time. Yeah, and we traded Nick to another podcast for a podcaster to be named later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cash considerations. <laughs> yeah, and international pool money. Because that's, <laughs> Why not? that's the hottest thing. <laughs> Victor, Victor, man. Someone needs to get him. All right, so, I mean, obviously we're going to run through all of the news from around the league tonight. Uh, we think it's going to be a pretty full show just based upon that. So let's kick it off with the trades. One of the big ones, Chris Archer to the Pirates for Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows and a player to be named later that is of some significance, but we still don't know who it is. What do you make of Archer's new digs in the NL? Is his value up, down, or the same? And what do you think about the return Tampa got? Can the Rays fix glass now? And is Meadows mixed league relevant right now? Lots to dissect. Okay, let's start off with Archer, right? So um, it certainly helps Archer. As for his career, he's been better uh, against opponents not in the AL East. Um, the same can be said for this year, as he's got a 4.92 ERA against AL East opponents, but a 4.1 ERA against everyone else. Now, part of the problem is that a 4-1 ERA really isn't all that good still. Um, still, I think the NL is the softer the division. The ballpark's still good. Um, I think overall it's an improvement. What do, you, what do you think on Archer? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a case where his value goes up. It's the NL, and as you mentioned, specifically leaving the AL East, where he no longer has to face the super lineups of the Yankees and the Red Sox, will provide a nice boost. The real question will be whether he can perform at a near ace level or whether he'll be more like a mid threes ERA guy. Um, and that would be my guess. I think he's going to be like a three, four to three, six ERA guy with good K's. Um, you know, maybe the pirates can find a third pitch for him. Uh, I doubt it, but that's always going to be the issue with Archer is that he's really a two pitch guy uh, between the fastball and the slider and has never been able to develop that third pitch. Now, you know, you take a guy like Tyone this year and they were able to figure it out for him and they've been experimenting more with um, increasing the breaking pitches that the pitchers throw. Pittsburgh is notorious for being an organization that likes the fastball. Um, They seem to have adjusted that philosophy a little bit this year uh, with pretty good results. So, you know, maybe there's a change in philosophy there and maybe Archer can benefit from that. But it just even in terms of the change in locales, I think he's going to benefit, um, you know, to the extent that I think he's going to cut like a half a run off the ERA as it stands, um, you know, versus what he was doing versus normal competition. 
as opposed to the AL East. My gut says he won't turn in ace-like performance, um, but there's definitely a non-zero chance that he does. Just switching to newer competition, um, guys that haven't seen him as much, um, there, you know, there's a possibility that he does go on a little run here um, for the, the rest of the 2018 season and puts it together. I think once teams in the NL Central kind of get a book on him, um, he'll be, yeah, like kind of like you said, probably high 3ZRA, maybe mid-3ZRA. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I mean, we're dealing with a sample size that's so small that, you know, anything can happen. Um, you know, we can we can see him go on a nice run here and not be markedly different than what you what he's been. Exactly. Um, as, and as you said, you know, great point. These guys haven't seen him. Um, it's not like he's moving to an extreme ballpark. If anything, the ballpark is good for him. So, um, you know, yeah, I think I would go out and buy anyway, um, just based upon the change in circumstances, um, regardless of whether or not there's another pitch or, or some new development. Um, that's made him different. So what do you think about the return? Yeah, so I I think Meadows is borderline mixed league relevant. I think we started to see some of his true talent as he started to cool off at the end there, and then he eventually got bumped for playing time. Um, You know, ultimately, he isn't going to hurt in any one category, aside from runs and RBIs being in 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 the Rays lineup. I just wouldn't trust him for the rest of the season, as I think he's going to have to make some adjustments to try and figure out some MLB pitching. Um, so I think he's more of a 2019 play than a 2018 play. Tw- okay. 2018 play, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but do you think he's going to play right away? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he is as well. Um, and, you know, my, my feelings on him have not changed from when we spoke about him last. I still view him like true talent. As a 15 homer, 25 steal type guy, it's going to hit around 270. Um, I think that's who he is. Uh, possibly the power could tick up given not so much as home park, but um, the favorable road parks in the AL East. I think he could possibly take advantage of those and see an increased power pace. I do think you're right, though. I think there are some adjustments that need to be made. Um, after a very, very hot start, he cooled off considerably, was sent down, and it's not really reflected too much in his overall line, which lets you know how good he was right from the start. Um, now, maybe what we said for Archer is true for Meadows. Uh, you know, AL East might not have a book on him, um, you know, as, as available as the NL Central teams do, or, or were able to adjust to him as, as quickly. Um, you know, this might be a, another new start for Meadows. Um, in a in a new division, so there's that possibility, um, and I, I think you're right. I think he's borderline mixed league. You know, if you need the speed, I expect he'll hit somewhere near the top of that lineup. Um, and you know, that offense, while it's not spectacular, is probably a little underrated, um, and they've added additional pieces to it. So, which we'll get to later. Um, what do you think about Glass now? Uh, you know, this is a prospect, uh, or, or, you know, as he stands right now, a major leader that came up with a ton of pedigree, a ton of hype, hasn't cashed in on it yet. Do you think the Rays are the organization to figure him out? And what role do you anticipate they will have for him? 
So I think long-term, unless if they can unlock something that uh, Pittsburgh hasn't been able to do, I think the role to really put him in is slap him into an Andrew Miller role. He's almost got the same sort of profile in terms of results. Um, Tons of walks, tons of strikeouts, um, and not much success in preventing runs. Um, And I think if they slap him in the bullpen and have his stuff play up, you know, he he has the fast enough fastball. It's at like 96 as a starter. So you imagine it'll tick up maybe one or two miles per hour in the pen. I think that might be where they go. I don't think they'll do that yet. I think they'll try and figure him out as a starter first, or maybe stretch him out in their, you know, their three inning bullpen start type games. Um, but I think they'd be best served to eventually put him in the bullpen as he stands right now. Yeah, I anticipate that's the role that they're going to put him in to start with, and that will be used as a method for stretching him out. I think it would behoove Tampa to try to get him stretched out to give their um, their manager and, and the organization the ability to evaluate um, you know, whether or not they think they can fix class now as a starter, because ultimately that's where the most value lies. Um, I'm doubtful they can. Um, he's a, he's a big guy and the mechanics with, with somebody that big, there's a lot of moving parts. And I just don't think that he's quite figured out how to get himself under control um, and I think that's reflected in the walk rate. Um, and, I mean, just when you see him pitch, sometimes he's more hittable than you, than he probably should be, um, you know, even when he's not walking the world. So I, I think this is going to be a case where he might be, you know, like you said, Andrew Miller's a great comp. He also might be a late bloomer. He might be somebody that takes, you know, another like two or three years to kind of piece it all together and find, um, you know, emotion and, and, and a mechanical base that works. And, you know, maybe the Rays coaching staff has something, maybe they can figure it out. But, um, you know, I think this might be a case where I don't know that any amount of coaching is going to do them, going to do him, uh, you know, any more good than simply just growing into his frame and understanding how the different moving parts work and figuring it out for himself. Yeah, you know what? You raise a good point, too, about the frame because Andrew Miller was the same type, too, right? Tall, lanky, you know, that's just like now. So I think your mention of the, uh, the frame and my mention of the comp, I think we're on to something here a little bit. Okay, and just... Very quickly, from a real baseball sense, uh, how do you think this trade worked for both teams? Uh, I think the Rays made out better than the Pirates, personally. I don't really, I I don't know. I I know Nick has mentioned this before, and I'm kind of on with him. Archer is a frustrating guy to watch. Um, And when he's on, he's on, but he's often not on. Um, And I don't really see him as a true ace. I think that they're trying to compete probably closer than a lot of regular baseball watchers would think. Uh, I just don't know if Archer's a guy. Yeah, I, I, 
I give a positive grade for both teams. Um, you know, I think maybe I'm a little bit higher on Archer um, and his potential in the NL than you guys are. Um, and they certainly had the need for a front of the rotation arm. Uh, you know, this gives them, you know, a pretty nice two-headed monster at the top between Archer and Tyone. Um, and I think Meadows was sort of an extra piece, uh, at least in the short term. And outfield is a very easy position, and particularly when you're dealing with a corner, um, to sort of fill in year to year. Um, and, you know, they've seen Glass now. They've They've experienced it. They've tried to get him to the point where he can be a productive pitcher at the major league level. It hasn't worked. Um, I remain skeptical that it will happen. Um, so I, I understand the move from Pittsburgh's point of view. And then with Tampa, you know, even though I'm not crazy about glass now, I certainly see the upside. And I think Meadows is going to be a very good major league player. Um, you know, even aside from his fantasy output, I think he's going to be a plus defender as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a positive for both teams. All right, so – and then the Rays weren't done. They added Tommy Pham in a shocker of a deal. This is crazy. Uh, for, for prospects, Genesis Cabrera, Justin Williams, and Roel, Roel Ramirez. Yeah, I mean, this was a stunner. Uh, first, what does this do for Pham's outlook? Do you have him up, down, or the same? And what about the repercussions in St. Louis? Who's the primary beneficiary? Is it, ba- is it Bader? Is it O'Neill, who was recently called up? Sure. So uh, FAM overall has a has a pretty great outlook for the rest of this year. Um, the park is a little meh, but still crazy hard contact at 47.5%, an exit velo over 92 miles per hour, an expected batting average of 279, and a at 33 points below his career average. He actually makes for a really, really good buy-low candidate. Um, I know there's probably not much time left. Uh, probably most deadlines are either this week or next week. But Fam represents like the definition of a good buy-low candidate. He's actually pacing out perfectly fine, too, in terms of stolen bases and home runs. It's just a batting average, and it looks like he hasn't been doing too well. But those balls will land eventually. Yeah, the, the contact profile is too sound for him to be um, the type of hitter that he is right now. I mean, it, it it's, looks like it's in line with last year. It might even be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's definitely got some um, positive results coming his way, in my opinion. And I don't think that the situation is that much of a downgrade. Uh, you know, I think St. Louis is known as a pitcher's park as well. Um, so the move to Tampa is neutral-esque to me. It, it's not it, – it doesn't go one way or the other in terms of the ballpark. And, again, I think that Tampa lineup, especially with these improvements adding Meadows, um, you know, it, it's a sneaky sort of average-ish lineup. And I don't know that the Cardinals lineup is better than that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Right. So, Azuna's been whatever – Jose Martinez is like cooled down a ton. Well, he's in, well, Jose Martinez is in and out of the lineup too. I mean, they don't they don't play him because he can't he doesn't have a position. Yeah, yes, and CJ Cron has done his thing. Um, you mentioned Meadows, right? So yeah, it, it's Bowers like, has been good since yeah, he's come up. 
Bowers has been good. Yeah, the Rays always have like that sneaky good fantasy lineup. The lineup just stinks for real. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, like Duffy's not a great fantasy piece, but he's a guy that's hitting 300. They've got some pieces there. Kiermaier hasn't done anything, but we know Kiermaier is better than this. Um, you know, I think that whole – you can see – you'd start to see the pieces coming together for Tampa – even though they're kind of far away, um, you kind of see the method to the madness. And and I think that it's actually a pretty decent lineup. So I, I have, you know, fam as kind of like a neutral outlook in terms of the, this trade. And plus he doesn't have to deal with the playing time issues that he's dealt with in St. Louis. He doesn't have to deal with the log jam with Bader and Fowler and Ozuna and now O'Neal. Um, you know, Tampa's going to play him as long as he's okay to play. And if he's a little banged up, he can DH. You know, the Cardinals... I think the volume will be there. Sorry. The Cardinals are kind of, like, in a little bit of trouble here, right? They're, like, in that, that like, medium zone, right, where the the pitching is pretty good but hasn't all panned out. The bats are, like, kind of good but hasn't all panned out. Like, they have a team that's good enough to compete but isn't good enough to compete, compete. You know? You know what I mean? Like, they're good enough to float around, like, 85, 86, 87 wins maybe, but they're not really good enough to compete with the, the big super teams. Yeah, they're. I, I think that they should be better than they are, and I think some of that has to do with the injuries that, that they've suffered. Um, you know, losing Waka, you know, some, I guess it's about a month and a half ago now, didn't help. Um, they've been without Carlos Martinez for – um, long stretches this year. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and Ozuna's had a, had an off season. Um, I, I think that they're like a wild card competing team, but I guess that goes to your point. I mean, they're not, they're probably not a world series team um, as currently constructed. Uh, and, you know, they kind of trading fam and then, you know, holding on to Bud Norris, and it was a bizarre deadline for that's them. What I, that's what I mean. Like, what, what's, like, what are we doing here? What's the direction? I don't know. What's, what's, yeah. the, take, what's the take on Bader and O'Neill, though? So, O'Neill was called up, but, I mean, Fam was the Cardinals' primary center fielder, so your first instinct is it runs to Bader seeing the increase in playing time because Bader is a natural center fielder compared to O'Neill and Fowler's played some center, but he's not really capable of playing like a very good center field anymore. Um, and Ozuna's played center field, but much like Fowler, he's not really, doesn't really have the chops for it. Um, so my first instinct was Bader's going to see the big increase in playing time. Um, I sort of backed off that as I thought about it more and that sort of bore itself out tonight when they um, released their lineup, you know, Bader wasn't playing and O'Neill was in center. And um, I'm going to butcher the GM's name, but I think it's Moziliak um, came out and said that Bader and O'Neill would split time in center field 50-50. Now, I don't know how much I buy that. Um, You know, I think this is going to become like a four-man committee um, where it's, you know, the four guys rotating through all three outfield spots. um, And maybe Fowler starts to fade out um, as the year goes along if he doesn't start to hit a little bit more and show some signs of life. 
Um, now you're not going to put him completely on the bench just because of the amount of money that he's making. But, um, you know, I, I think that both guys are going to obviously see an increase in playing time, um, a more significant role than they've had or a more consistent role than they've had throughout the year. Um, for me personally, I would like to see Bader get the shot because I think Bader's all around skill set is very good. I think O'Neill has talent. Um, he's certainly improved in terms of his patience and his play discipline um, in the minors this year, which is a very encouraging sign for a player with his kind of power profile. Um, but he does look a little bit like Randall Grichuk to me. Mm. Um, so, and, and, you know, the unevolved version of Randall Grichuk, not the one that <laughs> he like, but like the Cardinals version that they couldn't wait to get rid of. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, I, I think that while O'Neill has that like crazy sort of power upside and, and that's really conducive to a small sample because if he gets hot, you know, over the course of the next 50, 60 games, he could win you a title. Um, but I think Bader is a guy that can put together a sort of like 2015, 15, 20 sort of line mm-hmm. with a pretty decent batting average. Um, I just, I, I just think that he's a more polished player at this point and thus more likely to be productive, um, you know, in the larger sense. I think O'Neill is still a little raw. Yeah, to, to that point, too, uh, i just first like to mention that um, this is Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. We never actually mentioned their full names, so just wanted to give their full names. Um, also, so to that point, right, I think that's why Bader will uh, see most of the time for the rest of the season, because he's got – the 250 or 300 so at bats under his belt where with O'Neill, they'd have to sit through the process of seeing how he adjusts to, to major league pitching. Whereas Bader can kind of finish the season and have a full season of major league pitching against major league pitching under his belt. So I think that's why I like Bader more aside from that right now in 2018 there, they are like relatively similar players Bader's got the speed. O'Neill's got a little bit more power. But in terms of plate discipline, they're very similar. I think you're right, though, that they will evolve in different paths. Um, and the only other thing I want to add is what's Fowler's contract? Is it four years? I think so. It's it's, it's not good. Man. Yeah, all right. What do, you, what do you think the chances are that they actually finish it out? I think it's pretty good because who's going to take the contract? Oh, I mean, they're gonna have to, you know, they're they'll just cut him at some point. Well, I mean, but they still have to pay him his money. They oh, can't. sure, sure, sure. But I mean, like, do you think he'll be on the roster for the whole four years? Do you think they'll get TFA? I think what will end up happening is, is that they'll sell the contract to somebody. And, yeah, I know, think that's how it'll go, too. The, you know, a prospect will go with Fowler for somebody to take the contract. Yeah. Um, that's how I see it unfolding anyway. It's, and it, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Fowler's not done. You know. No, yeah, yeah, I agree. But like, if if he comes out next year, two months of this again, you got to get rid of him, right? Because you got guys in in Bader and O'Neill that you have to see. Yeah, well, I suspect that if if it goes the way I think it's going to go, he won't be on the roster come opening day next year. Hmm. I, I think that they'll put put a prospect together with Fowler this off season. Just get him out. And dump him on somebody, um, you know, who, I don't know, maybe Kansas City. Okay, so then the answer to my question is, no, you don't think he'll, he'll see through the contract all four years, at least in St. Louis. 
Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think that they'll I don't think they'll hold on to him. I think they'll find somebody to take the contract off their hands. Yeah, I th- I agree. Okay, so let's move it to Roberto Ozuna going to the Astros for Ken Giles, along with prospects Hector Perez and David Paulino. Ozuna will presumably be the Astros' closer in short order. I believe he returns on Sunday. Uh, Baggage aside, his owners obviously cash in, provided he does ascend to the role as expected. Um, Is there any hesitation for you on Ozuna? And who do you think ends up with the role in Toronto? Is it Giles or is it somebody else? So, uh, first of all, I got to give Toronto credit. Uh, This is a really good deal for them. Um, Giles isn't going to, wasn't going to ever be close to the playoffs for the Astros. So they just dumped him, but he's still an all right pitcher as frustrating as he is to watch. Um, And the prospects are both pretty good too. So you got to give credit to Toronto. As far as Ozuna, I'm actually not sure if he's going to close. Uh, Rodon's been lights out this year with a, a tick in, in speed and velocity added on his pitches. And I think Hinch tr- trusts Rodon to get the job done. Um, so I think the only way Ozuna is going to take the job is if Rodon struggles, which is certainly possible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we've seen him struggle mightily. In, in the past. So it's possible, but as of right now, Rodon's rolling and I don't know if Hinch is going to upset uh, the status quo right now. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Is that based upon anything that you've read or seen? No, no. That's... Or is that just your reading of the situation as an Astros fan? The latter. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was just curious because I haven't read anything that says he's the closer um, but I, I think that I'm assuming it based upon the talent levels of the respective pitchers. Gotcha. Now, yeah, I feel you. You know, we're in a forward-thinking age, so, I mean, Ozuna as their best reliever could be deployed in a, you know, Andrew Miller uh, fireman's role where, you know, he goes an inning, an inning two-thirds, in the seventh, eighth inning to get the run down, completely possible. Um, I think it's much more likely that he does take the closer role, though. I don't think that they would take um, this player with uh, the baggage that he brings, um, take the PR hit if they didn't intend on him getting the ball in the ninth inning. That's fair. Um, I could see a situation where, you know, they make him work his way there. I don't expect him to get the first save opportunity the moment he's back. Um, that would surprise me because I think he's got to prove it at the major league level. At least, you know, he's got to have three or four clean innings before he's, um, you know, given the opportunity to take the job. Um, so I, I do think that Ozuna is a guy that's going to close for this team before long. Um, with respect to Toronto, I think it's Tapera in the short term. Um, and then I, I, I much like with Giles, much like with Ozuna, I do expect Giles to seize the role. Now it could be, you know, a little longer, certainly because Giles 
hasn't been hasn't performed well this year. Um, but I think that this is a good opportunity for Giles to kind of reset. Um, I, I think that sort of the in and out of the role got into his head a little bit. I think Toronto is going to, you know, give him the opportunity in a more low pressure environment. Um, you know, given the fact that they're not a contender uh, to get his act straightened out, to, to get his stuff straightened out. And I expect them to be pretty a pretty decent value the rest of the way. So, I, I mean, I would be in on buying him. Um, you know, if, if I could stash him, that's great. Um, but even if I can, you know, stick him on my bench and survive for a few weeks until he either takes the role or doesn't, it is something I'm interested in um, because, you know, I do expect him to be closing games for them by the end of August. Yeah, Gibbons has said that he's – uh, expects to get Giles in to sit to, to close for them at some point. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think to pair for the very short term, but I think Giles will eventually close. Okay, Kevin Gossman and Darren O'Day, who was out for the year, um, go to the Braves. The fantasy world finally gets their wish with Gossman getting out of Baltimore and into the NL. What do you make of Gossman's move to Atlanta? And the return, just for those wondering, are prospects uh, Encarnacion, Zimmerman, Phillips, and Cumberland, and that lovely, lovely international pool money that we talked about. Um, none of those pieces are particularly close, um, but they are pretty high-ceiling prospects pretty much across the board. Um, so it's a volume-based return here for Baltimore. Uh, strengthening the depth of their system. And what do you think? What do you, what do you think about Gossman in the NL? Seriously, though, Baltimore is going to have to make a play on Victor Victor. I think they got money from the um, the Britain deal, too. Well, wasn't that a report that they were going to? Yeah, but now they're, now they're stacking even, the money, right? Even that, that they, even that they – I believe there was a report that – I know that he's not eligible, but that they had kind of – reached even a handshake agreement. Let me, let me see if I can find that while you... Oh, uh, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Gossman, though. Yeah, so for fantasy purposes, I think this is going to be a move for next year, not this year. I really don't know if there's enough time for Atlanta to really make significant changes that could help your fantasy team out in terms of changing Gossman's profile and what he does. I, I, I tried to figure... I, I, I would try to figure out how to get him back to 95 or 96, with some tweaked mechanics. His best two years in the majors, he was pumping over 96, and that was uh, in 16 and 14, I think it was. If, if the Astros can do it with someone like Charlie Morton, who's a number of years older than Gaussman, you'd have to figure that the Braves have to try and figure out a way to do it with him. Relying on the four-seamer, the two-seamer, and the slider alone when you're pumping 93 just isn't going to cut it. So I, I think the move here is try and get him throwing faster somehow mechanically. Otherwise, I'm not sure how much I'd buy into Gossman going forward. Yeah, apparently um, there were reports that Victor Victor Mesa uh, was close to a deal with the Orioles. Now, again, they would have to go through a process of becoming a free agent. So nothing is firm, but possibly. Um, with respect to Gossman, I think it's similar to Archer. Uh, he moves away from the mess that is the AL East. Uh, you know, doesn't have to face the Yankees and the Red Sox. 
in such a high volume, um, the better team increases the likelihoods that likelihood that he's going to win games. The home parks are, I, I think, close in terms of left-handed power output, but the NL gives you the pitcher. So all in all, I think it's a plus move for Gossman. Also like Archer, I don't think this move solves all of his issues. Uh, we should, and, and we shouldn't consider him an ace at the moment. I would view him a step below Archer. I think URA, true talent in this environment, um, you know, in, in Atlanta is like a 3-7, 3-8 ERA type pitcher um, with good Ks, but obviously still vulnerable to blowups uh, because I don't think his homer problems are going away. Um, and he's another guy that could really use a third pitch. Yeah, you're you're probably a bit higher than than me on on Gaussman going forward. All right, well, where would you place him? I think he I think he's still true talent is closer to like four four one ish, so it's a tick higher than you unless it, unless if he can get the velocity up like I, I outlined. Trying to think of a comp in that area. I mean, the Archer comp is a good one. Um, I just think Archer's stuff is a little bit better, but they're both they're both incredibly frustrating guys to own. So, all right, putting you on the spot a bit. Ooh, spot. Would you rather would you rather have Gossman or Joe Musgrove? Ooh, man. Uh, give me give me new look Joe Musgrove. Okay. What about Vince Velasquez? I'll take Gossman. Okay. I think that's a pretty defined range, right? Like, that's like SP 45 to 55, roughly. Yeah, probably. I mean, we're probably closer. We're probably, like, after we dig in a little bit more, I bet you were closer than, than we're talking about right now. <laughs> I'm probably yeah. I'm probably a little bit low, low, and you're probably a little bit high, and we're probably, like, right in the middle somewhere. Yep, yep. Okay, another big move. Brian Dozier to the Dodgers. Looking for Scythe having the other way to make the money work. Uh, I imagine he's going to step into pretty much an everyday role for Minnesota going forward. Uh, but the big question here is how does it shake out for L.A.? Turner is on his way back. Machado, Bellinger, Muncy, Taylor, Kemp, Peterson, Puig. How do you think this is all going to work? Yeah, so we were talking about this uh, off the air right before. Um, so this is going to be a moving carousel of who is hot and who is not. Um, we thought it was, we we had mentioned last week that we thought it was bad enough with just the addition of Machado and Turner eventually coming back. I still think ultimately um, Machado. Bellinger, and now maybe Dozier are the most quote-unquote protected of everyone in the lineup, but I can see a path where Dozier gets knocked out as he's been ice cold for most of the season. Cody, I think, Cody Bellinger, I think, is mostly in there. Um, Roberts is stuck with him, even though he's, he's, he's struggled at times, and, you know, he's still close to what he was last year. Maybe the home runs aren't, but the batting average is pretty... Pretty close. You know, he's like floating in the 240 range. Um, Machado is definitely in there every day, though. No doubt. 
Yeah, I think Machado was the one guy that's safe. And, you know, this question was posed on Twitter. And my answer is the same as yours, which is this is going to be a revolving door of players. Um, the outfield is a rotation. Uh, Jack Peterson's probably going to sit against lefties. Maybe they sit Bellinger a little bit against lefties. And the infield, at least with Turner out, I think is pretty well set with Machado, Taylor, Dozier, um, Muncie at first base. And then when Turner gets back, which looks like it'll be fairly soon, yeah, I think it, gets a little, it gets a little more complex. But this is a team with a lot of versatility. Uh, you know, Machado can play third and short. Taylor can play probably any position on the diamond other than catcher. Um, Muncie has played second base. Muncie's played the outfield. Bellinger can play center. He can play first. He can play a corner outfield. So that's going to provide this team with a lot of different combinations. And I think we've seen that from this from this particular team this year is that they're willing to kind of play guys in different spots just to get them into the lineup. Now, that's going to be somewhat frustrating in weekly leagues when it comes to Dozier because he might play four times in a given week, and that's going to hurt his volume. In a daily lineup league, I don't think it's a big deal because, you see, he's got the little red check mark next to him and some out, somebody else in. Um, but – I wouldn't panic because as we've talked about before, we talked about this with the Milwaukee situation with their outfield. We talked about it even when Machado came over, these things have a way of working themselves out and it's either by, you know, certain players having success and certain players struggling and then boom, the playing time is resolved and it's no longer an issue or, Injuries and attrition occur, and the you know the, the the players that are healthy play. So I wouldn't panic in terms of Dozier. I know there was a quote from Dave Roberts that said Dozier is not going to be an everyday player, at least initially. But what what's missing from that quote is who is an everyday player for the Dodgers right now? <laughs> yeah. But let and me, I think the I think the answer is Manny Machado, and I think yeah, that's probably yeah. it. It's just Machado. Let me ask you a question: As a Dozier owner, um, in a in a daily format, would you if you don't have a, a second baseman other than Dozier, and you have a few bench spots, you know, you got some players that you could potentially drop, would you be looking to go add a second baseman just to get the volume, in case he doesn't get time? Yes, I would. And for instance, I went out after this news broke today and to give myself a little bit of insurance, I made a trade for Daniel Murphy. Um, Now, I've also got issues at first base and first base. uh, Murphy carries that eligibility in this league. So it's sort of a double dip. Mm-hmm. Um, on my part, but yeah, I do think it's advisable in a daily format. If you don't have a second baseman or even in a weekly format, I, I think you do have to get yourself a little bit of insurance, but Dozier would not be the guy I would cut. Oh no, no way. Yeah. 
I just want to make that clear because yeah, yeah, I imagine there are going to be people out there that are going to read that quote from Dave Roberts and Dozier is going to end up on a lot of waiver wires. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, that's definitely a mistake. I agree with you there. Okay, somewhat older news. Nate Yovaldi to the Red Sox. This is Can't almost a this is old. old. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, it's so old. <laughs> what do you think of this landing spot? And do you think that Jalen Beeks gets a look in Tampa, or are they going to make him part of the bullpen starter experiment in the long term? So uh, for for Evaldi, this is a lot like Jay Hat for me. Um, just moving from one team in the AL East to another team in the AL East, one of the best teams in the AL East and in the majors helps him uh, just because he won't have to face a lineup. So that's really the take on on Evaldi. As far as Beeks. Um, even before his bullpen appearance on Saturday, I thought that he was going to be a reliever. And it didn't help at all that on Saturday he got killed. Crushed. He got killed. I have very little faith that he starts. And on top of that, in his limited sample as a major leaguer so far, he's just gotten destroyed. I wouldn't be surprised if they send him back down to get some re- more regular work at AAA, actually. Yeah. Just on Beaks first, since since that's where you left off. I mean, he was completely obliterated, like you said. I still hold out a little bit of hope for him um, on the longer term, being more than a quad A guy. He's going to need to adjust, and he's come out and he said that. You know, he said that he's experienced this before, where um, you know he's he's increased this competition level. He struggled. Um, and then needs to adjust. That means that he's thinking about it. I think that's a positive sign in and of itself, even though it's very simple. Um, And I think at this level, he's a little too reliant on his fastball, which has generated a lot of success at um, the minor league level. This is the cutter? No, I'm talking about the fastball. Okay. Okay. so he's experienced, but but it might be the fastball cutter in tandem. Yeah. But he, I I think the point I'm the point I'm getting to is is that he's not a pitcher that has special velocity. You know, he's a 91, 92 lefty. Um, so I, I think he's got to kind of adjust his repertoire to make it all work. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe the best place for him to do that is at AAA and kind of tell him, listen, results don't matter right now. We want you to focus on adding this pitch mm-hmm. or, or or working on and incorporating this pitch. Um, that might be the best way to go. Uh, as far as what Tampa is going to do with him, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, we kind of went over this with Glass now. Um, you know, are they going to try to – go to a more traditional rotation, you know, in the future, or are they the team of the future with zero starters, which is amazing. You saw saw that depth chart, right? Oh, my God. It's it's all over the place. People are going insane. In case you haven't checked it out, go to MLB.com and check out the Rays depth chart. They have no starting pitchers listed right now. Yeah, it's just all relievers. So, yeah, I mean, and I don't know. I don't know if this is like the wave of the future for them. I mean, obviously, Snell is a guy that's going to start. Um, and he's, you know, he's going to go a starter's workload in in the ideal scenario. Uh, they have Honeywell. 
Um, Chirinos has, has been pretty good this year and excuse me, I believe he's been given a starter's workload in most cases. So I, I don't know if this is just a haphazard experiment, you know, a, a, a consequence of, of their situation, or if it's something that they're considering on a long-term plan. So it's impossible to tell whether or not this is the case with Beeks. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. just real quick. Call me call me old school, but I, I think it'd be very difficult to legitimately implement this plan. I think relievers would just get too fatigued over the course of a season. Well, just to counter that, I mean, they have done it pretty much for the whole season. That's true. That's true. They've done it for a and long time. And they've been and they've been good. Yeah, they've been yeah, kind of successful. Well, but, the but, the ERA I think is pretty strong. I mean, I could be wrong, but I I remember seeing that. I don't know. Their staff look. is actually pretty strong. Let me look while you talk about Nate Eovaldi, your boy. Yeah, because that's that's much more relevant anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I would have preferred if Eovaldi ended up outside the ALE, certainly, and I had said that last week. Um, but it is one less beast lineup he gets to face being in Boston. He was excellent in his first turn, seven shutout innings. Um, you all know I'm a big fan based upon my bold prediction last week. And – just from me talking about Eagle Faulty in the future, I feel like my voice changes and <laughs> like I get, I get really excited whenever I have to talk about Nadio Valdi. Um, but I think the mix that he's developed works. I expect he's going to carry that over to Boston. Um, I'm very encouraged about him going forward, provided full health, which is always iffy. And I think being a righty in that ballpark is a good thing. Um, because it helps neutralize um, the hits that can occur off the monster. Um, that's really one of the major problems with that ballpark as a pitcher. Um, so I, I think his success versus right-handed hitters is going to be key. Um, and I think it's also key because it, it really helps. Um, it doesn't quite make him matchup proof. I wouldn't trust him in every matchup, but a lot of the good AL lineups are very righty heavy. Um, and he is excellent against right-handed hitters. So that's something to keep in mind um, going forward. So uh, the Rays um, are seventh in starting pitcher ERA, and it does include relievers that started, but relievers that come in after are just relief pitchers. So they're 14th in relief pitcher ERA. So it's it's kind of hard to tell, but... For the most part, well, yeah, they're, that's pretty they're successful. With starter and reliever ERA, they're probably right around 10th or 11th. Yeah, yeah. So they're above average. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wrong. You're right. Okay, Adam Duvall to the Braves for Lucas Sims, Matt Whistler, and Preston Tucker. Adam Duvall, is he going to get regular playing time, and what's your outlook for him for the rest of the season? And what do you think of the return for the Reds? So uh, for Duvall, right, the expected batting average and the BAPIP point to batting average that should be close to 40 points higher for Duvall, especially given how much hard contact he makes. Uh, it's also nice to see that he's walking a bit more, so the plate discipline's gotten better. I think ultimately him and Ender probably split time with Acuna playing center field on uh, their given platoon days. Um, the playing time is going to be a bit short, but I like him for a bounce back in the final two months. 
Yeah, I, I like him as well for a bounce back, but I am concerned that the playing time is not going to be there to make him fantasy useful. Um, I had mentioned to you that I thought that they might play him at third base uh, because Duvall did have some minor league experience there. Um, it seems as though they're pretty set with sticking with Camargo. I, I don't know how wise that is long-term, but, um, you know, specifically they mentioned the Ender platoon, you know, in the comments following the trade. So, you know, if he's the short side of an outfield platoon, it's it's not a good look for Duvall. And, and I think it's a shame because I think he's a guy that was primed for a nice stretch here down the road. Um, d- down the down towards the end of the season, uh, particularly in a very good Reds lineup. Um, the return, I think, is somewhat underwhelming. I mean, Tucker's got the profile of a guy that might um, might benefit from playing in Great American because the power upside is somewhat limited, and then in that ballpark it might play up. Um, and Sims is a guy that's got some pedigree. Uh, maybe he can figure it out for the Reds, but I think he looks like a reliever. Um, and Whistler, I think, is like a swing man type, and it's a really bad ballpark for him. But I think this was a case where um, the Reds saw Duvall long-term as a fourth outfielder, um, and I think you know they got another fourth outfielder back for him and a couple of interesting arms. And I think the Braves were just looking to open up 40 man roster spots um, by dealing uh, Whistler. And I think, I think Whistler and and Tucker were out of options. So they were going to have a roster problem. So just dealing them for what they could, um, you know, made sense in the long term. See, so now I'm in on Winker, right? He's got the injury check mark. He's got the playing time check mark coming into next season. He's going to be nice and cheap, and he's going to return a ton of value next year. So now I'm in on Winker. Well, this is my one issue with Winker that has me concerned is this is a shoulder injury. So you can look at it one of two ways. It can be, one, he's been dealing with the problem, which he said he was for a long time, and that's why the power hasn't developed or you can look at it as two as he's got a shoulder injury. He's coming off it. It's going to be difficult for him to hit for power next year while it, you know, strengthens itself and he readjusts and all that. Um, I'm most likely going to be in, but I just wanted to add that I'm a little more cautious. Um, now than I would be if he was healthy. But yeah, the playing time check mark is huge. And unless if he's like if he's being drafted within like top one fifty, then I'm probably out. That's like way too expensive for me. Whereas uh, I think I can't imagine he goes that high, but maybe. I know, I know. I don't think he will either, but I'm just saying like if for some reason people like us hype him up a lot and then he starts going higher than he really should be. But at, from what I expect his draft day value to be, I think I'm probably going to be in. Yeah, I can't imagine he's like inside the top 200, but yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe. Okay, Eduardo Escobar to the D-backs. What does this mean for the Arizona infield? Who is the odd man out in your opinion? 
Uh, Miguel Sano got the call up and will likely be in the majors for the rest of the season in Minnesota. We were pretty down on Sano once he got sent down. What is his outlook now? This deal feels like it happened like three years ago. I know. This is like the Eovaldi <laughs> deal. It feels like yeah. a million years ago. Yeah. So as far as uh, the Arizona infield, it likely just means that Nick Ahmed and Daniel Descazzo get to squeeze. And uh, Tori Lovello loves to go with a hot bat and glove. So I think that's probably what will happen. Um, it likely signals also that the D-backs aren't counting on Lamb to contribute much to their playoff run. I think that's actually the biggest thing here. Um, if you're a Lamb owner, I'd be really, really skeptical that he provides you any fantasy value going forward. As far as to know, um, he started on Saturday and went 0-4 with three strikeouts. I think either yesterday or Sunday, he put together a, a pretty good game. But, you know, for the most part, I think he's going to be much of the same. Um, he could get hot as pitchers start to wear down, and we see some not really good pitchers um, in August and September. But with that said, Sano still managed to strike out 27% of the time in high A ball. That's not good. That's not good at all. He's a major leaguer, and he's striking out 27% of the time against high A ball pitching. So... Um, I'm pretty much chalking this up to a loss year for Snow. Yeah, I, I, I sent out some inquiries on Snow, um, you know, reading the tea leaves um, that, you know, the Twins would be dealing Escobar and or Dozier, and that would lead to his call-up. Now he struggled out of the gate. I mean, I believe he struck out in five of his first seven at-bats back up. Um, so... You know, if you weren't able to acquire him prior to the Escobar and Dozier deals, um, you know, your window might still be open based upon his recent performance. Um, you know, I think it's a last couple of guys on your roster type deal. I would not make a major investment um, because he does. He just he has those strikeout issues and. As Joe outlined, I mean, he's even striking out against high A pitching. So um, he's not going to be much different than what he's been. But, you know, he does have the upside of a guy that can hit 260-ish because he's a plus BABIP guy yeah. and hit for major power. And I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I am. Um, you know, that sort of profile can play in a big-time way in small samples. So I have no issue with trying to get him provided the cost is right. With respect to Escobar, um, you know, I, I think it's a slight upgrade for him. Arizona is a better lineup than the Twins. Um, I think the ballpark, even with the Humidor, is, a, um, is neutral to maybe a little bit better. Um, he's got the versatility to play every day, even if Lamb was to come back. I think you're right, though. I don't think Arizona is counting on major contributions from Lamb, at least for pretty much the remainder of the regular season. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think Escobar's playing time was would be safe anyway, but I think he's certainly safe with Lamb gone. And, you know, I expect more of the same from Escobar. I think he's like a 260, 270 hitter with, 
20-ish homer pop. Um, he's a he's a pretty decent player, and when it comes with that sort of eligibility, it's a very useful piece. Yeah, one one thing I wanted to mention too, I think there's probably a good chance that one of these years, Sano just totally Joey Gallows it, probably with a better batting average, but you know completely obliterates the ball and hits like 45 home runs, and then the next year the fantasy community at large is saying, oh, you know, we know he's got some strikeout issues. But his bat pips. Yeah, but that already happened, Joe. What would he hit? Like 34? No, well, he had that. He came up. I think it was the first year he was up, and he just destroyed the baseball. And I think he hit like 270, but it was like with the 380 Babbitt. And I remember this because I was out on him that year. Yeah, and and I owned him. And he was red hot. Like, he he was. he batted 269 with 18 home runs and 30, 335 plate appearances. Yeah, so he yeah. paced out for like 35 or so home runs. And I was out on him the next year because the market was insane and nobody wanted to listen about the Babbitt. Like it was just. It I know, was like, but I no could totally could see it that happening. High. I could totally see oh, it happening. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. It absolutely can. But. And that's the difference between him and Gallo, right? Like they're very similar in the fact that they strike out so much and they and they carry a big walk rate and they have the big time power. But Sano also has the ability to offset those problems because of the Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah. But when it's bad, it's going to be bad. It's yeah, going I mean, to be he's... like zero dollar bad like it was this year. He's got a three thirteen BAPIP and two oh three batting average. <laughs> Yeah, oh it's my goodness. really bad. How is that even possible? And he's regressed. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not walking really as much. Problem. Striking out 41.4% of the time. Holy smokes. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the pitches that he's swinging at are worse. He's making less contact. Like, it's, it's not good. He's not getting better. Yeah. He's get, and it's not even like he's, he's plateaued. He's just, he's getting worse. Yeah, poor Miguel Sano. All right, Jay Happ to the Yankees. Owners were probably hoping that he would get out of the AL East, but at least he doesn't have to face the Yankees anymore, right? Value up, down, or the same, and we should add he has caught the dreaded hand-mouth-foot <laughs> virus that seems to be going around New York. I'm going into work tomorrow and I'm wearing one of those surgical masks because <laughs> I don't want to catch that Coxsackie virus. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago um, that if Hap moved to the Yankees, it would be a boost in value only because he didn't have to face the Yankees anymore, like I mentioned with Ivaldi. Yeah, uh, but you didn't account for Coxsackie virus. Oh, my God. Huge, huge mistake. Huge <laughs> mistake. Uh, yeah, even without the move um, – to having to face the Yankees, he gets a big boost in win potential, which should help his value. So, um, yeah, this is definitely up. Yeah, uh, similar to Evaldi, I mean, he stays in the East. He removed one beast lineup from the slate, which is important. Um, Plus, as a lefty, he can neutralize Yankee Stadium a little bit. Uh, He's pitched better than his results would indicate. Um, and has sort of bucked the league-wide trend regarding his fastball usage. Uh, one thing I did notice that's a little concerning, 
Hap's success has primarily been from throwing his fastball up in the zone. Um, and that, and there's a theory out there that the high fastball sort of offsets um, the approach of players um, that are part of the quote-unquote launch angle revolution. Um, so in his first start with the Yankees, the four-seam was all over the zone. Now, this could be good or it could be bad. It could be good in that varying location makes it tougher for hitters to key on it, but it also could be bad in that you are buying into what hitters want you to do by throwing the fastball lower in the zone. Um, all in all, I'm expecting what I've been expecting all along from Hab: good ratios, an ERA in the high threes, upgrading win potential, but small sample makes all of that iffy. So, you know, I view him as like a top 40-ish starting pitcher. Is that fair? Is that where, where you have him? Yeah, it sounds reasonable to me. Okay. All right, Cole Hamels to the Cubs. Uh, is Hamels worth a look, or are you passing? So Hamels finally came back down to earth after a pretty strong start of the season. The velocity is definitely still an issue, as it's been discussed just a little bit here on the FWO <laughs> podcast. Uh, seriously, though, the increase in K is largely, largely real, as he's got a healthy whiff rate and a swinging strike rate. The swinging strike rate is up over 12%. The problem is one out of every fly balls he gives up goes over the fence, and that's backed by giving up hard contact over 44% of the time. Uh, his va- his value goes up as he'll get a better shot at wins on the Cubs. It's like he's facing Randall Grichuk every time. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets a better <laughs> shot at wins on the Cubs, and he gets to go to the NL but Hamels is a start-to-start and matchup kind of guy for me right now. Yeah, I'm passing. I mean, I have to laugh when I see that Hamels is owned in 70% of 12-team mixed leagues. 70% chip. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a ridiculously high percentage chip, <laughs> considering the results and simply the lack of pure stuff at this point. Now – I don't want to brush Hamels off completely because he's certainly a player that's capable of going on a run. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it with John Lester. John Lester had an excellent first half of the year in terms of results. Anything can happen over the course of a certain sample size. Um, And now he's in the NL. The ballpark is a little better. The team defense is certainly much better behind him. Um, And he's also reinvented himself mix-wise to offset some of his VLO loss. Um, but if he was a pitcher by a different name, you wouldn't be interested at all. Uh, you would be using him simply as a streamer or in favorable matchups. Um, you know, and I was even thinking about listing the names I would rather have. But at 70% ownership, I would have like literally 50 names <laughs> that – are less owned that I would want over him. So I'm not going down that road. Um, You know, I'll I'll let the 70% of people out there that want to own him, own him. And to me, it's a, it's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Joaquin Soria to the Brewers. Who do you like in the Chicago White Sox pen? Gene Mar Gomez, Jace Fry, someone else. No one. You take this one first because I know you had some tweets about this, so I'm interested to hear your take. Well, I don't like anybody. 
all right. Uh, but I, I'm I largely mean, with you. I think Gomez is bad. Yes. Uh, Fry is interesting, but I don't think he's there yet. I think Benaya is bad. Yes. Um, so, I mean, if I absolutely had to have someone in this situation, I would bet on Fry. Agreed. Because I think he's got the best skills. Gomez does seem like he's got the inside track at the moment. But they've all had rough outings since the trade has gone down. So <laughs> it's kind of difficult to read who it is at this point. But I would also keep my eyes on Carson Fulmer. Um, I think there's an outside chance that before the year is out, he makes his way up to the bigs. And, um, you know, with this situation being such a mess, that he does potentially seize the role. Um, I know that his major league sample has not been promising, but it was as a starter, and I think his stuff will play up much better in relief. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for the most part, I'm with you. It's Fry. Um, this is part of something that we'll talk about later today in that these are all bad bullpens that we're going to talk about. Everyone got traded from all, – all the players that were traded gutted their bullpens totally, and the teams are bad with opening closer roles, and uh, I really don't want any part of any of them for the most part. So it's Fry for now. Um, but, yeah, like you mentioned, they, they all got lit up since uh, since this trade went down. So, like, only if you absolutely need saves are you picking up Chase Fry. Okay, Mike Moustakis to the Brewers. Thoughts on Moose in Milwaukee and Shaw moving over to second base, maybe? Yeah. Because they also traded for Jonathan Scope. And thoughts on Brett Phillips in Kansas City, who was part of the return. Sure. So the move to the Brewers obviously is a big boost to Moose. He's now in a significantly better lineup and a significantly better ballpark. Um, Travis Shaw, for as far as Travis Shaw goes, hasn't been he hasn't been quite as good as last year, but the power is still pacing out to be upper twenties or so. Uh, you know, the added eligibility is always nice, even if it's questionable. For the actual Brewers defense. Um, And then Brett Phillips in KC. Phillips is a guy I haven't actually watched much since he left the Houston farm system. But he profiles as as a player with a so-so hit tool, a bit of swing and miss, but a real fantastic arm in the outfield. Um, In his current form, he's likely slated for a platoon role or a starting role on a bad team like KC. But for this year, I don't really have any interest in Phillips. Yeah, Shaw getting second base eligibility is very interesting. Um, You know, he's a bat that's an upper 20s power bat with the ability to steal, you know, high single-digit bases. And I think that would play well at second base if we could guarantee his playing time. But as we're going to talk about, we're not sure that we can. Um, Stockus has also said that he would move over there if need be, but that was before the team traded for scope. Um. Sim- Mustakas is similar to Shaw um, in in terms of the power output. Um, he doesn't offer the speed, but I think that he's a little bit better of a bet for the batting average. Yeah. Um, and Mustakas also could really benefit from this move in that he's a player that's hit for 30 plus homers 
in Kansas City, which is a much more difficult power park than Milwaukee, which is one of the best. So I could see Moose having a really big uh, stretch run here uh, where, you know, the power just goes insane. Um, so I, I think that I, I really like the move for Moose. In terms of Phillips, um, you know, he's interesting, but more from a long-term perspective, I think he's got a little bit of the Ian Happ profile, um, meaning that he's got pretty good recognition. He only swings, he's only got a 20% chase rate in a limited major league sample, but there's obvious holes in the swing that are preventing him from making contact in the zone with a zone contact percentage of just 71%. Yeah, that's um, real low. Uh, he'll need to make more contact long-term to succeed. Uh, but the power speed profile is very intriguing. If he can figure out how to make more contact, the power upside could tick even higher. And he's going to get the shot. So I, I, I always like guys on bad teams that have this sort of talent because they're going to get the opportunity to figure it out. And I say that more as a uh, – long-term play than a play for coming down the stretch here. But if I was in a dynasty league um, where I could afford to put him on my bench, I would because the Royals are going to give him a shot to figure it out because they've got nothing to lose. So um, I, I think that's the format where you want to try and get him the most because he if he figures it out, it could be a very, very productive player with a lot of category juice. Yeah, so, right, like, he's not in any way, shape, or form like Scott Shebler or Adam Duval in terms of, um, you know, what they provide. But I think the situation is sort of similar, right? Like, neither of those players are probably star starters on real teams, but the Reds were so bad that they had to start him. So... I think Phillips is going to be in like the same sort of situation that he's probably not, probably not ever going to be good enough. I mean, he could, he could be. So actually I don't want to say that, but right now it doesn't look like he'd be good enough to be a starter on a good team, but on the Royals, like you mentioned, right. He's just going to get a chance to play, figure it out. Um, he's a lefty. So, we'll, you know, he might struggle against lefties, but you know, he'll, he'll still be in there every day. He'll, he'll accumulate, He'll accumulate plate appearances, which which count for fantasy purposes. So, yeah, I'm with you there. I think it's a longer play. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a plus defender, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. He's got an excellent arm. So that's so, why, yeah. Yeah, I'm he's going to play there. every day. Yep. Okay. As mentioned, Jonathan Scope also was traded to the Brewers, and that was a move that happened earlier today. And it confounded everyone. <laughs> He's going to play shortstop? Because, uh, well, yeah. How do you see this How do you see this shaking out? Is it shortstop? And the return for Baltimore was Jonathan VR, Luis Ortiz, and Gene Carmona headed the other way. Uh, VR has displayed some upside and now moves to another situation with unlimited playing time. <laughs> Is he a sneaky play down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, Scope's got to go to shortstop, right? I don't think Shaw can play shortstop. He's too big. Well, he's Scope is either going to shortstop or they're going to play Arcia at short, short. and kind of rotate 
these three guys. Do the Dodger move. Yeah, meaning what and by rotate the three guys I mean Shaw, Mustakis, and Scope in between the two positions. Can Shaw play I, outfield? I think he has, but, but yeah, none of that outfield guys. situation yeah. already crowded. Yeah, none of those outfielders play infield. I guess Thames could when Aguilar needs a day off, Thames could come in and Shaw can go out and Scope can go to second. In that situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what's going to happen is they're going to try to play scope at short and see how it works. God. And then use Arcia kind of as a defensive replacement. Yeah. You know, hope they score like six runs in the first three innings and then, you know, move the infield around. Um, I, I think that's their game plan. I'm not 100% sure, but... Uh, you know, we'll, we're going to find out, but I, I can't imagine they gave up. Um, you know, Ortiz is a top 10 org guy. I can't imagine they gave him up to not play scope or, or to play scope strictly against left-handed pitching. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, I mean, for as far as the situation goes for scope, if he gets the PT, it's a lot like Moustakas. I mean – it's a park that fits what he does well, which is hit homers. Well, is and it, that's is all it a really... big improvement over Camden? I don't actually know. Um, I think they're comparable. They probably are. But the Milwaukee lineup is much better than the Baltimore lineup. Much better. I think that's the biggest place where he improves, right? He's at like 40 runs and 45 RBIs. I think before his hot streak, he was at – he was something in, like, the teens, legitimately, for one of those. I think it might have been runs. He was at, like, 18 or 19 runs before he got real hot. So I think that's a big place where it helps him, runs and RBIs for scope. And the extra added eligibility. I mean, in five-game formats, he's just got to get to five. You're probably praying that he gets to ten in ten-game formats. Um, and for Shaw, too, just got to get him to five or ten second-base starts. Yeah, and I and I think they're all. I think Shaw's going to get there, and I think Scope is going to add shortstop, and and I, that's how I see it shaking out, at least initially. I mean, of course, if it's a total disaster, <laughs> um, you know, plans can change, but we shall see. Um, with respect to VR, um, you know, I tweeted this out earlier, and 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 I. I am a guy that has been a big fan of VR previously. I mean, I was very, very high on him pre-breakout in 2016. That's and it was true. because of just this situation, um, which was he was traded from Houston to Milwaukee. Um, he had displayed some skill growth, which has regressed a little bit, which I, which I will point out. But he was going to get the shot to play every day, and – on a bad team and they weren't going to stop him from running because they were bad. And now he goes to that exact same situation again in Baltimore. Um, and, and as I pointed out, you know, even if you take away and you just say 2016 is a complete anomaly and it'll never happen again. Well, that's fair. And you're probably right. But over the last two years, VR has had a little over 700 plate appearances, 
and he's accumulated 17 homers and 37 stolen bases with a not terrible 248 batting average. So even if that's the player that he is, that's got a lot of value because that's a lot of category juice. That's nearly a 2040 player. Um, and while I don't think VR is the player he was in 2016, I also think that there may have been um, some mental um, struggles because the Brewers really, you know, they've done a lot of things right. But I think with VR in particular, they've kind of jerked him around in and out of the lineup. They didn't really give him um, the sort of leash that you would expect a team to give a player that just went nearly 2060 to 80 the year before. I think it was like 200 at bats and they were like, no, we're going to start to play Eric Sogard over you, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually what happened. Yeah. Um, so I think that there might, I think there might've been a little bit of pressing for VR. Um, so I'm very intrigued with him in Baltimore. I think he's a sneaky ad and particularly in, you know, dynasty formats or keeper formats where you keep a lot of players. I think that VR could be extremely useful going into next year. So I'm still not as high as you are or were on VR, but that statistic on the 700 or so plate appearances did shed some light. I mean, you figure if he gets to 650 next year, he's probably like 15, 34, 33, which is still really, really good. I mean, yeah, and you can live with 250 at that price, you know, yeah. like, and I think that's what he is, True Town. I think True Town, he's like a 255, 250 hitter. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at 1535, you can live with that. And he's going to hit towards, I, I imagine he's going to hit towards the top of the lineup. Yeah, because he's like the only major leaguer on the team. Well, exactly. So, I mean, the volume will be there. And even a leadoff hitter on a bad team is going to score 80 runs. So he'll be a plus in that as well. So, you know, I mean, to me, it's just easy money. But I, I, I think that he is really the guy that's flying under the radar, this trade deadline. And, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to go off in the 60 games that he's going to get, which he won't even get those because he's currently on the DL. But, um, you know, I think going into next year, he's going to be a forgotten man. And I think that there's major profit opportunity there. I have a question for you. Sure. This is completely unrelated, but, did Austin Hayes get hurt this year? Do you know? Yes, he had ankle problems. He's had ankle issues all year. Oh, all right. Yeah, because you know he'd be he we'd probably be close to talking about him coming up soon if he did if he hadn't. Yeah, I don't even know if he's played. I don't think he has. Yeah, yeah. Actually, just looking now, he's yeah he played forty three games this year. Too bad, man. It's a lost season. He might be he might be like a good summer ad next year. Yeah. Yeah. Or they might even just give him the role to start the year. I mean, yeah, maybe 
you know, I mean, as long as provided he shows something in spring training, uh, you know, they're going to have to do something to get the, the base excited. So, yeah, um, it, that's, a, that's a, it's a very interesting situation to watch. I, I find myself very interested whenever a team goes full scale rebuild. For one, I, I, I enjoy the process of it. And for two, I think it creates a lot of value opportunities, which I've, you know, I pointed out with VR as one, but there, I mean, there will be others where guys that haven't gotten a full shot um, get it because they're so like Baltimore is going to be so bad. Um, they can just take shots on interesting players as opposed to other organizations that are closer to contention where they can't quite take the same risks. You mean like the whole Reds lineup minus Joey Votto? Basically, yeah. Yeah, like that that whole offense. That's how Scooter Jeanette happens. Yeah, like that, yeah. And, and, and Suarez, right? Yep. Yeah, Suarez was like a 15-homer shortstop. Now he's one the of the best, best offensive <laughs> third baseman in baseball. Yeah. Okay, Wilson Ramos to the Phillies. Currently on the DL, what do you think of the new location for Ramos? Value up, down, or the same? Yeah, I think we spoke about Ramos maybe last week or the week before. Uh, it's still the same thing for me. Um, you know, when Ramos is on the field, he's he's great. The value uh, moving to the Phillies is obviously up. He's in a better park, better lineup. All good things for Ramos. We just got to see him get healthy and he's good to go. Yeah, I, I think it's about the same. Um, the Phillies lineup is definitely an improvement. The home park is an improvement. But Ramos is still hurt. He's not going to pick up extra DH at bats. Um, and he's got viable backups in Alfaro and Nat, uh, depending on who the Phillies want to keep around, um, who are going to command playing time beyond what Ramos had in Tampa. I think I saw a stat earlier that Ramos has caught the fifth most innings in baseball this year. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's going to keep up at that, up at that level. Um, given the quality of the players behind him. So it's a better situation, but it's less volume. To me, that means that nothing's really changed. And, you know, I voiced my concerns the last week that he might be a player that comes back, but doesn't come back quite the same. Asdrubal Cabrera was also traded to the Phillies. Any changes in value for the surprising second baseman? And what do you think this means for Scott Kingery? Yeah, so in terms of Estrubal's uh, uh, value, only in the sense that he'll get a slight boost from the lineup and he gets to go to the better hitting park. Um, with Franco hitting the ball well as of late, Hernandez isn't going to get benched, and obviously Estrubal wasn't traded to sit either. So I do wonder if they send Kingry down to get regular playing time and maybe they bring him back up as a potential playoff roster spot. Um Either way, if I'm a Kingery owner, I'm not I'm not really feeling that good for the rest of 2018. Yeah, I think that Kingery's a guy that's going to end up I, – I don't know that he's going to get sent down. I, I think that he's going to just kind of be the super utility guy, and I, and I think that they're going to be satisfied putting him in that role. Um, you know, since the trade, Kingery has sat, Cesar Hernandez sat, which might be a good thing because Cesar's a guy that 
has struggled to play a full season in the past. Yeah, he was dinged so up a little bit too. He, he might be he might be running out of gas right now. Um, so I think as Shrubel's playing time is going to be pretty safe. Um, and I think King, King, like you said, Kingery is the guy that's most hurt. Um, but it makes sense given his performance level hasn't been up to par. Um, Franco's production is ticked up. So I think he takes priority over Kingery. Um, but I mean, as far as a dribble goes, I mean, I've owned him in our home league most of the year. And I think what he's done this year is somewhat sustainable. Uh, the power looks legit. If you look at the fly ball data, lots of hard hit fly balls, pull percentage up around a career high. He's been around a 15% home to fly ball rate with a similar profile before. So I think the power at a 20-25 homer level um, is pretty much for real. The strikeout rate is not egregious. Uh, I think he's sort of a useful and underrated bench piece um, with a lot of eligibility. So, uh, you know, he might even be available on waivers. But he's another guy that's very useful and sneaky, and he could be a guy to pair with Dozier. Ooh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, because he's I'm a little more secure in Ash Dribble's playing time. And I think that he can serve as a nice compliment where Dozier's kind of got that, you know, power, speed profile. And Struble can chip in a few bombs, but I don't think he's going to kill you in batting average either. So, And Struble also has other positions usually in most formats. So, um, you know, he can be useful elsewhere when Dozier does play. The Estrubal percentership is actually respectable. It's at 83%. I thought it was going to be a lot lower. That's probably up because of the trade, I bet. Ooh, yeah, you're probably right. I would bet that it was probably about 65, 60 before yeah, the trade. you're probably right. And I'll bet it'll go back down probably next week. <laughs> 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 All right, Keone Kello was traded to the Pirates. And Jake Diekman was traded to the Diamondbacks. Uh, both those teams have entrenched closers. Who do you like in the Texas bullpen now? Uh, <laughs> you don't like LeClerc? Yeah, I mean, he's the guy, right? Alex Claudio has gotten save chances in the past, but he just doesn't have the stuff LeClerc does. But LeClerc is, like, the guy that Nick absolutely hates. He's a reliever that walks a ton of guys, so he's going to be prone to extremely explosive outings. He's just never had good control. Um, he's another one, right, just like the White Sox bullpen, that I'd only grab him as a last resort if I needed saves, as one of these weeks he'll destroy your ratios. But LeClerc is like an A-plus name. That's, that's LeClerc. true. LeClerc. That's factually like, correct. And it's not all bad. I mean, he does have a a great K rate this year. Yeah, definitely. What's it like? Twelve, 12 K per nine, eleven K per nine. Twelve plus K per nine. Yeah. And at that level, I mean, it's not ideal, but you can live with the four walks for nine. Um, yeah, he's gonna find himself in trouble, but it's also it's, well, wait, it's wait, wait. isn't the homer to fly ball rate like two percent though? It is, but he's also got a soft contact percentage that exceeds his hard contact percentage. So the fly balls aren't being hit hard. 
Um, now it could be small sample flukiness. It could be Skills. he's actually got a skill where yeah. you know he induces fly balls that are not you know homers or or, or do not threaten to be homers. Um, it, and to me, I, I, I mean, he's more attractive than anybody in the White Sox pen. I I think. Absolutely, 100%. Um, you know, again, it's not an ideal situation because team stinks. we don't – the team is terrible. So, yeah, how many save opportunities will there be? But he at least has the K rate too. So Yeah, yeah, that's the saving grace. And the, and the peripherals aren't bad, so it's not – this isn't an illusion. You know, like this is a guy – I think his FIP is sub-3 – and then I think his ex-FIP is like 3.4, which is fine. If I, like, I, like if, if you're getting me saves and you're getting me 12 Ks per nine, I can live with you at a 3.4. That's like Brad Boxberger. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. So I, I do think that he's a little more attractive than the other options. Um and yeah, he's definitely my bet. I, I don't think that Claudio. I think they like Claudio in that multi-inning sort of role, um, and, and he's a ground ball guy. He's not a, a strikeout guy, so that profile doesn't often get to close. Sort of that Brad Ziegler um, profile. Yeah. Okay, Ian Kinsler was traded to the Red Sox. Are you buying Kinsler? Seeing a resurgence in Boston. Yeah, so obviously after I I announced to the world that Kinsler was shot, he's still just doing Ian Kinsler things with 13 bombs and nine steals. This is a this is a big boost in value even if he's down near the bottom of the lineup because the lineup is just so good. Uh, overall, I don't think I'm buying. Um, from what I've seen so far, I'm just still not really that impressed. The swing just looks I don't know, it just doesn't look that good. The exit velo is down to 85.4 miles per hour, and his barrels are just below 4%. I, I'm, I actually looked at this, the exit velo and the barrels, after I wrote that I wasn't really impressed with the swing from what I've seen, and I'm glad that the data kind of confirms that a little bit. Um, now, He's probably going to absolutely crush the ball for the next eight or so weeks and make me look like a fool. But I think long term, I know we're we're really discussing about 2018, but long term, um, I'm I think I'm still going to be out on Kinsler, despite probably still making it close to like 2015. Well, your the 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 sample that you're talking about is full season data, right? Yeah. Okay. He's been better um, of late since June 15th, and these aren't outstanding numbers, but it's it's sort of where I expect him to be going forward. Um, five homers, two steals, 270, 771 OPS. Um, Do you know how many plate appearances that is? 150 even. Okay. So that's, you know, 600 plate appearance pays. You're looking at 28. 270, 771. Um, and I I think the average is going to tick up in Boston because it is a good hitter's park. I think the green monster will benefit him. 
Um, I think some of his fly balls will turn into doubles. singles and doubles yeah. um, down the pull side. And, you know, he's going to hit closer to the back end of that lineup, but it's still a very productive lineup. So, yeah, I think that this is another example of, you know, what I talked about with, with Cabrera. This is the type of guy that you might want to go out and get to pair with your Dozier, to pair with your scope, um, because there's no competition here. He's going to play. Uh, Petroya came out today, is done for the year. Um, they're going to, and Kinsler is still good defensively. They're going to play him, and he can kind of help make up for the volume that you're going to lose with Scope and Dozier, particularly in a daily format. Um, or if you see on the schedule, I mean, if the Dodgers are playing a stretch where they're going through six or seven right-handed pitchers in a given week, um, you know, maybe that's where you say, all right, Dozier's only going to play four or five of these games. Let me get somebody else in there. And then, boom, you plug in Ian Kinsler. Um because I think he'll run a little bit, and I think the power will continue at its you know 20-ish homer pace. But where I expect to see the improvement is the batting average. Um, I think the BABIP is going to go up solely based upon the home part. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good take to pair him with Scope or, or Dozier. Um, I think that's a good pairing. And also, I'm going to take this opportunity to toot uh, myself and Nick's horn um, and say that Eduardo Nunez stinks, and we told you so. Uh, factually correct. <laughs> we nailed that one for once. That was like the only thing I nailed this season. Yep. Brad Brock was traded to the Braves. Does he close in Atlanta? And who do you like in Baltimore going forward for saves? Yeah, so for Brock in Atlanta, I don't think he's being brought in to close. I think he'll have his shot, um, but he's no lock. I think they actually might have mentioned, too, that Minter's the guy still. Um, I think the beat reporters were mentioning that Minter's still the guy. Um, and as far as Baltimore yeah, goes... Yeah, I, mean, I don't think Brock's had the results to warrant it, you know? Yeah. Like, Brock has not had a good year, so, I mean, this is not... You know, Kirby Yates coming in. Yes. And he's only ever closed because Britain was hurt. He never took the job from Britain. So, uh, and then as far as Baltimore goes, it's it's Givens. Um, there, was a, there was a second there where we thought Givens might get moved, um, but he was not. But again, kind of like, kind of like Chicago and, and Texas, the team is going to be awful. Um, so he's not going to get many opportunities to, to close games out. Um, and he also hasn't been Michael Givens-esque this year. He's He's been off his game. So he's another one that I'm not really sure if he'd be worth a roster spot. And again, only if you really needed saves. Is the Givens closing um, take yours, or is that based upon something that you saw? Like, whether or not he has a job? Yeah. Yeah, that's my take. Okay. But I feel really strong about that. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't something sure. that I missed. Yes. I mean, truthfully, when I 
we started talking about this topic, I struggled because I was like, was Givens one of the guys that got moved? Yeah, I did too. I did too. I did the same thing. That's because there was a rumor that he was going to move to uh, Pittsburgh, I think. And we were yeah. like, oh, Givens a shot. Yeah, I, I think he was tied to as like the second piece in like in potential trades with Gossman and with Scope. So, yeah, yeah um, I agree with you. I do think that Givens is probably going to end up being the guy. Um, and in terms of, you know, where I rank him, I, I like LeClerc better because LeClerc has been better this year. Agreed. But Givens um, over Fry for me. But Givens over Fry. And Givens and LeClerc is probably a lot closer than you might expect. Um, I still think Givens is extremely talented. I, agree. I still think long term he will be a plus reliever. I agree. Um, you know, this is just, again, and I've said this multiple times with relievers, they're just, they're very volatile year to year if they're not truly elite. Uh, this has just been a bad year in Baltimore. Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful long-term that Givens can figure it out. And, and, you know, if you're looking to make an ad, if you're desperate, I think he's the guy. Um, Fry only has something like 13 or 14 innings. Um, so, you know, he hasn't – he doesn't have a big enough sample where, where there's – where he's really – I hate to say he hasn't had the opportunity to fail because he, he has, but – it, it's not enough that we can turn around and say that he's a reliever that's the caliber of Michael Givens, um, given that Michael Givens has the track record of being a, a pretty damn good relief pitcher, you know, this year aside. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of other moves. Leonis Martin to the Indians, Cameron Mabin to the Mariners. Who do you think has the most fantasy appeal in their new locale? Yeah, it's, it's uh, Martin for me. He's been better of the two this year. He's only two years removed from a 15-homer, 24-stolen base campaign. Um, I think there's going to be a bit more playing time there for him in Cleveland, uh, especially considering that Cano is going to be due back soon. Um, so the squeeze is really going to be on in uh, in Seattle. I mean, I know right those are two totally different positions, but you know how it goes. Players kind of swap. You know, there's utility men that swap everywhere. So um, I think there's just going to be more opportunity for Martin in Cleveland. So, yeah, it's it's Leonis Martin for me. Yeah, I agree. I think Martin's the guy. Left-handed bat. Cleveland's a nice park for lefties. And they don't discourage their players from running, um, particularly when Martin's going to be hitting towards the back of the lineup. Um, Seattle, we've seen that they've kind of curtailed D. Gordon a little bit. Um, so I think that might be the case for Mabin. Um, and your point about Cano coming back is a good point. I think Cano is going to play first and Gordon's going to play second and that'll open the door for Mabin to stay in the lineup. But Mabin's not so outstanding that it's a lock that he'll stay in the lineup. And Morton's, I think a little more multifaceted. I think he's got a little more pop in his bat. Um, so I think that helps him stay in the lineup, even if he's, um, struggling a little bit. Okay, injury wa injury a uh, little, little I can't speak. Injuries. Uh, Chris Sale to the DL with shoulder inflammation. Uh, it was called a mild concern by Dave Dombrowski. 
What do you think about this situation? Oh, mild concern sounds like concern to me. That's See, I read it the other way. You think so? Mild concern meant to me that it wasn't, you know, a major concern. Yeah. I, I mean, he's had these, these types of things come up in the past, and he's been fine. So that's good. Um, but you never you never like to hear your ace land on the DL with a shoulder injury. I mean, you're probably right. All things told, he's probably going to be fine. It's probably precautionary, too, because um, he is their ace. And they're they're steamrolling, but you know they still have to fend off the Yankees at some point. So, um, yeah, all told, I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, uh, it's it's concerning, but it's not full scale panic in my opinion. Um, I'm much more concerned about Steven Strasburg. Oh, he's going to speak about next. Um, Sale has been mostly healthy. Uh, compared to Strasburg. And to me, this could be a BS stint, you know, the Dodger DL stint. Uh, Sale has worn worn down at the end of the year before, and Austin certainly has World Series aspirations. Good point. Um, Giving him two weeks might not be the worst plan. Um, And, in fact, it might keep him healthy and productive into the playoffs. So... You know, um, if somebody that owns Chris Sale is in a complete panic, I'm willing to pay a steep price to acquire him. But I, I just think that this is one of those cases where you mild concern is if that's accurate. I mean, this is literally going to be a maybe a little bit more than a minimum stay. Um, now you can't always take them at their word, but I, I don't know. Like he's just, he didn't show any signs either in his last outing. So I'm not, this isn't a case where the velocity, you know, fell off a cliff um, or he got crushed for like eight runs and walked seven guys in an outing. So I'm not, I'm just not terribly concerned. Yeah, that, that was a good point, too. I hadn't really thought about the fact that sale does break down. Um, so, yeah, maybe you convinced me a little that he's all right. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, Steven Strasburg landed back on the DL with a pinched nerve. The MRI showed no issue with the shoulder. Um, he went to see a neurologist and received a shot in his neck. Um, apparently, it's less serious than fear. There was an there's a timetable being thrown around of potentially six to eight weeks, but um, he's resumed throwing. What do you make of this situation? And for next year, where do you consider Strasburg? Okay, so as far as the situation goes, it's good that they got him throwing again. That's actually great news. Because um, before that, it seemed like they didn't really know what the hell was going on with him, and I was definitely read red flashing lights going off everywhere. Um, the fact that he's throwing is good. I'd still be concerned, though, because there's only eight or so weeks left probably in regular seasons, or seven or so weeks left in regular seasons and head-to-head formats. So, you know, even if he's on the show for like two or three weeks, that's almost 50% of your season left. 
Um, so there's some concern there. As far as next year, uh, I mean, he's got a label of being seriously injury prone, but this is going to be the first time he's under 147 innings since 2015. And over the past seven years, he's averaged 155 innings, which is not 200 innings. But if, you know, you go into your draft banking on 150 innings, then you're set. If you go into the draft banking on 200 innings, then you're making a mistake. So um, for next year, I'm not all that concerned. I'm not all that concerned. Yeah, I mean, with Strasburg, I think – You've got to be pleased about the news, but it's still a very touch-and-go situation for me. I'm not feeling great about this. There's obviously something going on here, which maybe he can pitch through. But Strasburg has never been a guy to pitch well through injuries and when something is irking him. Um, So that's a concern. The performance has not been great this year, even when he has been healthy and pitched. Um, and, and to me, it, it's it's a difficult situation for his owners because he's – I doubt he's going to pitch before leagues have their trade deadlines. Um, so I'm willing – if I own him, I'm willing to start shopping him now and seeing where it gets me. So I've got some names here. And let me know if you would do the deal um, one for one. Mike Clevenger. Mm, no. Kenta Meda. Um. Yes, it's really close though. Tyone. No. Faulty. Definitely not. Skaggs. I know he got crushed in it. Yeah, no. Okay. Well, what what are those all for you? They were all yeses for me. All yeses. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm the upside. I don't know. I here's here's the deal. If I'm if I'm like close, and I really need to make it in, then I'd probably be okay with. All of them except for Skaggs. All right. Podcast favorite, Rich Hill. Uh, no. Okay. And I know See, I, I, I already know the answer for Nick. Nick would say no, too. Nick would say no. Nick would say no to everyone because he owns Strasburg. Strasburg is probably the best player of all time. Yeah, until he trades him, and then he's like, oh, he stinks. <laughs> and he stinks. <laughs> All right, who are some replacements for Strasburg and Sale from the free agent market that you like? Uh, well, I think we just like kind of went through. Some, well, uh, actually, those are no, no, those are trade cans. I don't I've know. Got, I got a list yeah, if you want them. Yeah, you give me the list. You're the okay. list guy. All right, so Vince Velasquez at forty-eight percent. This is ownership in twelve-team leagues. Forty-eight uh, percent, Vince Velasquez. Kyle Gibson at 44%. What are you people doing? Yeah, what are you people doing? He's like a top 44 starting pitcher. How is he only owned in 44% of leagues? Yeah. I feel like I'm talking to myself. (laughs) Junior (laughs) Guerra, 43%. Wait, who? Junior Guerra. Oh, eh. 
Okay. Uh, Derek Rodriguez, 40%. Mm-hmm. Carlos Rodon, 39%. Yeah, I'm more interested in Rodon than either of those guys. Uh, down a little further on the list, Joe Musgrove, 26%. Yeah, still interested. Joey Lucchese, uh, 24%. Mm-hmm. Trevor Cahill, 19%. Oh, my God. Trevor Cahill at 19%? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And one of the cards, rookies, depending on who gets what role. I mean, they're they're free. So Yeah, Trevor Cahill, man. Yo, he's got to be owned. What are we doing? Yeah, well, his innings total is low, and nobody nobody believes. But I always believe. Yeah, but he's been great. Yeah, yes, he's been good. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. You know, again, it's just people don't. You know, they yeah, see Trevor Cahill. Yeah, they, they see the name and they're like, oh, he stinks. Yeah, I'd rather have Cole Hamels at seventy percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Aaron Judge uh, suffered a chip fracture in his wrist after uh, hit by pitch. He's not going to swing the bat for three weeks or so, and your best case scenario is probably a month. Uh, who are some replacements? And if you are on the fringes of contention, are you considering moving him? 150% I'm considering moving him. Um, wrist injuries are never, ever good. Ever. We, I mean, we say this all the time. Especially for power. And especially for power. He's not swinging for three to four weeks. That means we're not going to see him for like five to six at best. Uh, oh my god! So totally selling, hundred percent selling. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I think this is a case where you know you're you're probably best off taking a hit. There's going to be some optimists out there that are going to think three Sarah weeks, Judge. three weeks, three weeks. Yeah, he's he's Superman and. You know, even if he did come back on a shortened time frame, it just like like you said. I mean, it's an injury that just kills power, obliterates it. Uh, so you're you're taking away his best tool, um, and if you if you do that, it's just. Uh, I mean, but it, it's tough because where's the line? You know, this is a guy that's got to be borderline first rounder right now so what player do you take for him like where like where is your personal line do you have an idea on where you would do the deal uh, let me look up some deals um they're probably all no's for me <laughs> Let me, look, uh, let me look up some deals. As far as replacement players, though, um, the one that stood out to me was uh, Conforto, who's under 50%. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, Conforto's on my list. Scotty, Scherzer, Scherzer for Judge, Altuve for Judge. I'd rather take either of them in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. These are probably um, pretty injury trades. No, they're done today. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, Judge. Well, Altuve makes some sense. Altuve's hurt. So, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Judge or Goldie? Goldschmidt. No, no question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, so he's still he's still going he's for still like yeah, sell, 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 sell. sell, sell. <laughs> All right, so if you don't if you don't want to sell, in addition to Conforto and Piscotti, um, Jake Ooh, Bowers is at twenty two percent. Yep. And Nick Williams at Nick Williams is at ten percent, and those are outfielders that sort of offer the batting average power combination, not to the extent that Judge does. If you're strictly looking to replace the power, Cole Calhoun at 38% is red hot. Red hot. The full season line does not reflect it, but he is hitting for power like crazy. Um, what about my boy Teoscar? He's on the list, 23%. <laughs> okay. And our boy Randall Grechuk at 8%. 8%. Get that up. Get that <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm in a chanting mood right now. And then if you're strictly looking to replace the batting average, Ben Zobris, 25%, Gerardo yeah. Parra at 10%, and Austin Meadows, who we think is going to get the time in uh, Tampa, could hit for like a 275 average, is at 8%. So, right, so we mentioned Jose Altuve to the DL with the sword knee. What is your level of concern? And who are some second base options that you're looking to as insurance? Yeah, so um... – you know, like kind of like Sale, like you mentioned. Um, I think they they probably saw that he tweaked it a little bit, um, and they just wanted to give him some ex- extra rest, given that the team's playing piss poorly anyway. So um, why not just give him a few extra days? As far as uh, replacement options, um, Nico Goodrum, if you need the counting stats, and Ben Zobris, like you mentioned, if you want to float the batting average. I will say this. Um, uh, a sore knee is a little bit concerning for Altuve's skill set, as he may be hesitant to run. But since I deemed him as potentially not running as much, this was something that you got completely right. Well, yeah, but he still ran since. Well, he's running at like a twenty-some odd steel pace. Yeah, so not as high. Yeah, actually, you're right. I was pretty close. I think I, I think I projected him for like twenty-eight. Yeah, he's on like a 22 steel pace. Okay, so I was still a little high. Yeah. Yeah, but you were – you crushed this one. I'll give you this one. I, I I do usually kill the Astros ones. I killed Cole too. I'm good because I watched so many of their games. <laughs> That's all I'm good for. Just get, just ask me Astros <laughs> advice. Yeah, don't ask me shit about Randall Grishuk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not terribly concerned either. Uh, this struck me as it's bothering him. Let's get him right. We can afford to get him right. Um, you know, as for guys to replace him, uh, Rugnet Odor at 69%. Red hot. Uh, for your shallow leaguers, he is completely red hot. Ian Happ, 53%. Um, Derek Dietrich, 54%. The aforementioned Ian Kinsler, the aforementioned Ben Zobris, the aforementioned Matt Duffy, and if you're really reaching Garrett Hampson at 7%, although his playing time outlook is a little uh, – because they've called up Ryan McMahon, which we will get to. Uh, Rafael Devers was starting to turn things around, but he hit the DL with a hamstring injury. Same deal with Altuve. We don't think it's going to be long-term. Who are you picking up in the short term to replace him? 
Yeah, the, the name I just want to squeeze on here right now because he's hitting so well is uh and and I mentioned this offline to you is Matt Chapman. Um, I wasn't actually all that high on him coming into the season, but the swing looks great right now. The defense is excellent too. Yeah, give me that. Yeah, that's all you, man. <laughs> I, I mean, there. I think there's room to grow in the bat. In that bat, the, the bat speed's excellent. I, I, I'm. I'm totally converted. And the glove is so good, he's going to play, so the bat oh, will yeah, get better. Yeah, the glove is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm I'm so in. <laughs> yeah, he's he is going to be very, very good. I think he's going to be like that Kyle Seeger like, trajectory. Um, That's a good comp. He reminds me of him, too. Yeah. He's, gonna, he's just going to play and consistently get better. Um, and then hopefully he continues to grow. Uh, Seeger kind of plateaued. Um, Evan Longoria, 43%. Ryan Healy, to the extent he has it, 40%. Um, and Carlos Villanueva, kind of forgotten men in San Diego at 22%. How many home uh, runs? What are your options, I think, there? Villanueva? Yeah, like 19. I think he's got 19. I think he's been at 18 forever. Something like that. Yeah, but power comes and goes, my friend. Yeah, you know this. I know. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious what what his uh, month by month splits are. Let's see, don't go anywhere. Okay. I got it right here, wait. Uh, oh, I'm looking at the wrong one. Wait, never mind, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I am going someplace. You can let yeah, me know yeah. what his splits are. Uh, Brandon Belt dodged a more serious bullet, suffering a bone bruise. He's on the 10-day DL. Since a hot start, Brandon Belt has had Brandon Belt luck. An appendectomy robbed him of about a month, and now this. Does he crack 20 homers? Okay, so um, Villanueva went 8, 7, then 1, and then 3. So, yeah, he's been stuck at – he was stuck at 15 home runs for, like, ever. Um, As far as Brandon Belt goes, um, I'm actually not really that worried about him. Um. Because we are the FWO podcast, and we have an undying love for Brandon Belt. So, um, you know, one was a freak thing that could really happen to anyone, and the other one is a little bit yeah, more. It's really, but it happened to Brandon Belt. Come on, <laughs> come on, and it's and the other one's a little bit more baseball serious, but I, I, they just put him on the deal to give him some rest. Um, this is one you just have to sit and wait out, and yeah, I think he still cracks twenty. Yeah, I. I'm going under. I'm going to put him at like 18 because he's always at 18 because that's just where he lives. Yeah. Just hit 17 or 18 homers every year. You can't get six more. But I mean, like, even if you, I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right, to be honest. I just have like no faith at this point that it's going to happen. But I want to believe I do. I want to believe, but uh, like I've just, I believed like in April and May, and now like much like Carlos Villanueva, he's hit like two homers in three months. Yeah. Because he's played like six games. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Carlos Martinez hit the DL with a mild shoulder strain. Third DL stint stint this year with the Cards trading Tommy Pham. Do we see? Carmart again this year, and are you interested in buying low? Um, 
So, man, if he doesn't pitch again, this could be, I don't know, this could be awful, right? Obviously. But even if he does pitch, I mean, he was walking more guys than ever. He he suppressed home runs well below league average when he's been about league average uh, at giving up home runs for his career. I mean, I, I think I'm out. I've got one trade here, Marco Gonzalez for Carlos Martinez straight. I think at this point, I'd seriously consider doing that. Taking Marco Gonzalez. Yes. Yeah, you see, I think I would... I think I'd still reach for the upside in a vacuum. Um, yeah, but I, I do think there's a serious possibility here that we don't see him again. Um, and I think largely it's based upon the Cardinals' performance for the, for the next, you know, three weeks. I think that's going to determine a lot of things because you have to keep in mind there's – today was the waiver trade – was the non-waiver trade deadline, right? So. Yes. We've got another like three or four weeks before the waiver trade deadline. Um, so a lot of those middle teams might be holding on um, to assets. I mean, you know, the Cardinals, for instance, Bud Norris um, will go on the waiver trade, will be subject to waivers and then potentially dealt if the Cardinals don't find their way back into the wild card hunt. And, um, and I think that'll be when that'll be what'll end up happening with Carmart is the Cardinals will either still be floating on the fringes of the wild card, or they'll have fallen back. If they fall back, I think they might shut him down, given the amount of difficulty he's had staying healthy this year. Um, you know, I, I just I, I just think at this point. Um, you know, when you're talking about three DL stints in a year and you're talking about now a shoulder issue, um, previously it was oblique, you just – the, the arm is too valuable to, to risk further injury um, unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I hate to paint a doomsday picture um, because, you know, there is. There is the possibility of the Cardinals – have enough talent to, you know, get a few games above 500 over the course of the next three weeks. And then he comes back for a potential playoff push. That's also a feasible scenario, but I think if they're out of it, I think they're going to shut him down. And, uh, and, you know, as I said, I mean, Marco Gonzalez has been fantastic, but I think I would buy him in that scenario because I think I can, replicate Marco Gonzalez over the course of three weeks and, and hell even over the course of, you know, eight weeks. Um, I can find somebody that's probably out there. I mean, I just scooped Marcus Stroman um, in a 12 team mixer um, who has been pretty good for about the last month and a reasonable approximation of what Marco Gonzalez is. So you can, you can find Marco Gonzalez out there. I don't think you can find Carlos Martinez. Okay. So other notes, um, we've got the Rockies calling up Ryan McMahon. Do you think he has staying power? Uh, no. Cause LeMay is coming back soon. 
Yeah, see, I, I want to believe in Ryan McMahon. I want to believe in Garrett Hansen. The problem is they're both up at the same time, so the Rockies are just going to, you know, play one three days in a row and then play the other one two days in a row and then play the other one two days in a row. Um, neither is going to be able to establish a rhythm. And then, like you said, the Mayu is back. Um, this has sort of been the story of Ryan McMahon's 2018, which has been disappointing. Um, and now, you know, Garrett Hampson is roped in with that as well. Um, I certainly believe both players have the talent um, to succeed, to be viable assets today. But, you know, I, I just don't think that we're going to see it. Um, Stupid cargo. Yeah, they have to play, you know, him and Gerardo Parra and Gerardo Parra, yeah. all this other nonsense. Um, so it, it is what it is. It's just the Rockies have not given these guys really extended long looks and um, they haven't really given us reason to think that they will. Uh, Colby Allard was called up for a spot start tonight. I did not see how he pitched. I have uh, one. What is your level of interest in Allard in the short term and the long term? Yeah, so the line was five innings, nine hits, four earned, two walks, and a strikeout. Um, and I think that really encapsulates his talent. Um, he's like sort of he profiles as an innings eater type, pitches to contact. And that was against that was against the Marlins. We should yeah, have. yeah, pitch to contact type pitcher who generally limits walks and, and keeps the ball in the yard. But now with the addition of Gaussman, I, I know these notes were before that trade, but with the addition of Gaussman, uh, he really doesn't have a long-term role with the Braves in 2018. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think short-term, even if he did have a full-time role, he wouldn't be um, terribly interesting. Um, you know, he's very, very young. He is a pitch-to-contact guy, even in the minors. I mean, the K rate was mid-sevens per nine. Um, that's not spectacular. He was not an elite ground ball guy. So he was going to be relying upon um, the ability to suppress homers um, and to suppress hard contact. Um, he is a pitcher that earns high grades for pitchability. Um, and given his young age, that's encouraging. He does have a very good breaking ball. Um, I like him more long-term. I do think that there is um, some level of upside, and I think that we could see it before long. But in the short term, rest of this season, um, you know, even if he's called up to begin next season, I might – um, take a pass. I am a believer long-term, but I still think that there's more maturity. I think there's more that needs to be added to the mix for him to become um, successful on another level. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Okay, and that's all we got for tonight. I mean, marathon episode, it's not our fault, though. Write to Major League Baseball and tell them that 
<laughs> need to do something about this trade deadline. Um, so much fun. In fact, in fact, it was awesome though. Uh, it was probably the most fun I ever remember having uh, during the course of a trade deadline. It was insane. Every few minutes there was a move. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's not over yet. We still have the waiver trade deadline to go, so we might see other pieces moved. And remember, Justin Verlander was a piece that was moved last year, so um, it's not like there uh, are only insignificant moves that can occur at that point. So um, we will see going forward. Uh, Joe, let them know where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I just want to mention, too, that this is a really good opportunity to thank everyone for listening. Um, you know, it's awesome that we get to do this podcast um, and we get to talk about baseball, you know, just for the hell of it. And people people listen to us. So thanks for listening. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe FWO. Um, I've been tweeting a little bit more recently, mostly about the Astros woes and their inability to hit starting pitchers. Um so, like I mentioned oh, before... Oh, wow. My team won the World Series. My let, team is struggling. We're in let, first place. Like, oh, I mentioned, like I mentioned before... My, pretty, team, my team had Jose Reyes pitch tonight. <laughs> would, it, would they end up <laughs> dropping 25 runs on them? On 25 the runs by the Holy Nationals tonight. smokes. 25 <laughs> runs. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. I've never even done that in the show. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Where can they find you, Pat? They can find me at Patrick FWO. I will be tweeting for the next two weeks about Jonathan VR eagerly awaiting his return to full-time playing time. And you guys can follow along for the ride. Uh, Again, thanks so much for listening. I echo what Joe said. Um, I will be less verbose about it, though. And uh, we will be back next week. See you guys later. Choosing an energy company raises many questions. Who can make my electricity and natural gas work smarter? Where can I find a company that's easy to do business with, who knows the market best and has options to fit my needs? For millions of homes and businesses, there is one answer. Constellation. Decades of market intelligence and proven solutions from a trusted energy leader. Energy made efficient, simple, insightful, and flexible. That's what makes Constellation America's energy choice. Learn more at constellation.com energy.